0: Guys, and welcome into this edition of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. It's your host Anthony Pagnotta, as always, and with me again this week, Josh Marlowe, back again, guys. He did such a great job last week, so yeah, we're gonna have him on again this week. How's it going, buddy?
1: I'm doing well, buddy. Watching some baseball, so ready to talk a little a little
0: Tar Heel football. Well, uh, you know, hopefully uh, the baseball won't quite kill you in the same way that the uh, college football has here with the Tar Heels. Um, they've ripped our ha- our hearts out two weeks in a row, man. Um, both games, they have outplayed their opponents, but yet we are sitting at 1-5 and five on the season. So, uh, you know, I know you saw the game. Just some initial reactions from you. Uh,
1: another week where... You had a chance in the fourth quarter to make a play to win the game. Of course, Virginia Tech, you could look at the Michael Carter fumble and multiple fourth down opportunities on the eventual game-winning drive for the Hokies that we failed to convert. And then you had a third and four, I believe it was. Syracuse is out of timeout. If you convert that first down, that's ballgame. And they failed to do it. I think it's encouraging that the team was has been in those situations, but it's also discouraging that they haven't made the plays necessary, and that's the sign of a you know everyone would say it's a bad team. They're also still very young, and they're just they're taking some lumps. It just for us as fans, it sucks. And we got to think about the players. I mean, you don't think they Carl once He catches that ball Saturday. He probably makes that play nine out of ten times. Just the one time it did, and it ended up eventually costing us a ball
0: game. Right, so. and you know it seems like we've seen this in the past with teams that are really, really struggling to get wins. Things like that seem to happen, and that happened once again to us on Saturday. And you know it's it's just frustrating. You feel like this team is so close, but at the same time you feel like they're so far away. From where we thought they would be, I mean, at one and five on the season, I don't think anybody thought that. I mean, preseason, you know, everybody kind of had us in that five and seven, up to anywhere to eight and four was about as high as I heard it. And you know, as I got towards the season, I thought, yeah, seven and five is is in reach, and maybe even eight and four with the amount of talent um, that it seems like this team has. But at this point, with you know, the inability to finish these games. I think that's what's really hurting. I mean, one of the stats that I saw today um, from Jacob Cowden, who is a uh, writer for um, keeping it heel, I believe, um, he said in the losses to Virginia Tech and Syracuse, the Tar Heels have had 21 attempts inside the opponent's 30-yard line, and they have come away with a total of three touchdowns. So... I mean, plain and simple, this team has to finish inside the red zone. They haven't gotten it done so far. When they've gotten down into opponent's territory, they've had missed field goals. They've turned the football over. And, you know, even in those situations where you do get points, kicking field goals is not going to work. They, there are so many you know points you're leaving on the board. Every time you kick a field goal instead of scoring a touchdown, you're leaving four points on the board. And, you know, I don't think that was as much of a problem in the Syracuse game. Um, I thought both the field goals that they had, they, you know, they they probably deserved because once they got in there, they just stalled. You would wish that they would keep it going. But in the game against Virginia Tech, there were a couple of opportunities where they they should have scored touchdowns or in the case of the Michael Carter rushing touchdown that was called back due to the holding, they would have had a touchdown and unfortunately couldn't capitalize um, when the drive continued. So, you know, that's, that's gotta be something that's frustrating. I mean, here's the thing that I guess I want to ask you, you know, last week, I think everybody said execution and the players were pretty much where the blame lied. This week, You know, where does the blame lie? Does does it go back a little bit on the coaching staff, especially with the time management towards the end of the game, following the Patrice Renee interception?
1: Yeah, there's got to be some blame to them. You've got to have a, you know, when you have the interception, I know it's a quick change and all that, but... I think you've got to have some stuff predetermined. Like, okay, well, if something happens, like like pretty much like in basketball, you always practice situationals. You know, you're forming an offense or whatever. When football, you kind of do something the same thing. Okay, then practice. Let's practice. Well, we get a pick with how much time we have left. What are we doing on this side of the field? And that was the issue was we looked like we didn't have a plan to to do anything.
0: Um, he actually player, admitted you know, just, that in the press conference Yeah. that yeah, I didn't I didn't he, know what I was doing. I'm like <laughs> he, he didn't you know
1: um I know fans ripped the Anthony Ratliff Williams pass on the third down play I referenced earlier um that like that the play with that is if it works smart move by Fedora um. You know, and we're not as, as critical of that decision of taking the ball out of Nathan Elliott's hand, who's done a pretty good job all day not messing it up. Um, so, yeah, part of it's coaching, and then part of it's still the players because, you know, these guys are good, and, and then they know what to do. They're just not doing it at the rate they want to do it. And so it's twofold this this week, more as in the Virginia Tech game. It was more on the players more so than the coaching
0: staff. At least, at least I think. Yeah, no, I, 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 agree with you. I think, um, you know, the coaching staff, I, I think, had some, um, some of their struggles, especially at the end of the game. I'm, I'm with you. You've got to have a game plan going into that. And to me, um, I, I don't think there would have been any hesitation. Uh, I kicked the field goal and at least give yourself a chance to win, um, because you come into that game at 1-4, and even if he misses it and let's say they do return it for a a game-winning touchdown, I mean, did you really think going into overtime you were going to be able to beat them? They had just scored the game to tie it, had a new quarterback in the game that seemed to re-energize that group, because remember, the drive before they scored the touchdown for them they drove all the way down the field, and the defense made a stop in 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 a goal to go situation. So let's not act like oh they just you know that that one drive they just got lucky, and that was the first time they had shown anything in that entire fourth quarter. No, Tommy DeVito came in and energized that team. So I think going into overtime, you know, we were all kind of sitting there like if they pull this out, it would kind of be a shocker. And, you know, the other thing I was going to ask you, you know, they get into that overtime situation, and they end up scoring the touchdown with Bo Corrales. Were you like me? I was that guy that was saying, maybe we should go for it here and try to win this game, because I didn't think that we would, from what we had shown, we would be able to stop them. Uh, No, I think I would have played for the second overtime,
1: Um, and and and. Have faith that you know you just scored a touchdown, so your you know your red zone offense well you know did its job. It's not like Syracuse is a defensive you know juggernaut. Um, I, I was I was okay with them playing for the second overtime. Um, you know I just it just sucked that the way it worked out was we had to go on defense first. And then, because then when you don't score the touchdown, then that that makes it harder. But no, I, I wouldn't have gone for it. Um, but that's that's just me. I I know Fedora's aggressive. I don't know if you mentioned that in his press conference or not at all yesterday or after the game. I don't know if that ever was brought up. But you know, I think they made the right decision in playing for the second overtime.
0: Yeah, I mean, I me personally, I I, I think I would have gone for it, um, because yeah, you knew go. I mean, in in the second overtime, you know, you had to go on offense first, and it, you know, I I, I just kind of felt like you never really know with this offense. This offense has been hit and miss all season, and that was what it was in the second overtime. You know, they they hit in the first overtime, they missed a bit in the second overtime, so. Um, you know, I knew when they kicked that field goal, it was going to be tough sledding because, you know, whenever you kick a field goal in overtime in a college football game, y- your chances to win the game are not very good. Um, it, we'll, we'll just, just put it that way. Um, but, you know, I, I thought, why not maybe be aggressive there? You really don't have a lot to lose. And at this point you know Larry needs wins because if that that's the only thing that's going to keep him in Chapel Hill I mean now you're one and five there's there's not much to i, I mean really be cautious about and, and say oh well you know if i do this and lose this game then that could potentially hurt my job status going forward i, I don't think your job status is great at this point at all uh, to begin with so you know, to me, you got to take a couple of risks, but, you know, it is understandable at the same time. A um, couple of players that stood out just really quickly. I mean, Antonio Williams, I thought, had a great game. Um, Nathan Elliott looked somewhat serviceable and, can, that, you know, enough to where we can win football games with him if he plays that way um, each week. And then uh, Daz Newsome, um, I thought he played fantastic as well. Another breakout game for him. Um, you know, was there anybody else really that stood out to you before we uh, we move on to uh, one of our middle topics? Uh,
1: you can't, you know, Patrice Rene back-to-back games with interceptions. Um, okay. You can't overlook that, especially at the time he decided to, or when, when he got the pick. Um, and, and the defensive line had over had five and a half sacks total as a unit. So, you know, they got it done up front, and, and Renee had back-to-back games with, with interceptions. Um, and with with Greg Ross struggling as much as he is on the other side of the corner, it's going to probably be fewer times to get the chance on the ball because teams are going to start not throwing his way. But, yeah, you know, the, the, the defensive line and for and Renee, another back-to-back good week for both
0: units. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think uh, the secondary as a whole is, has really been playing well. Miles um, Dorn, what a fantastic game from him. 14 tackles uh, on the day, um, 10 of them solo tackles. Uh, had a had a pass deflection as well. He was pretty much all over the field doing just everything that he possibly could. Um, J.K. Britt with another strong performance on Saturday. Uh, Trey Morrison I thought looked pretty good as well really the only question mark in the secondary like you said remains Greg Ross and really it's more of a consistency thing more than anything I think we've seen some flashes where Greg Ross looks like he can you know he he has some talent there but I just don't think he's a, a starter right now he's in that starting role because of all the injuries um, but you know at, at this moment I think you know if if we can get some guys to return, if KJ Sales or CJ Cotman can return to the lineup here soon, I think Greg Ross could help in, you know, certain situations where, um, you know, maybe as a as a slot corner or a guy that can rotate in to, you know, give KJ Sales or Patrice Renee a break, um, you know, if they're starting to wear down because right now, you know, we have three guys that are currently out at the cornerback position due to injuries. So, you know, there's there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of rotation they can do there. It's pretty much been Patrice Renee and Greg Ross out there the entire time. So, um, you know, when those guys return, I think that'll definitely help them. And then, like you mentioned, the defensive line, five sacks all in the second half. They did not play that well in the first half. I mean, there were a couple of times where they were able to put a little bit of pressure on Dungy. Um, but ultimately in the first half, Dungy was able to stand back there and sort of pick that that group apart, Um, but all of a sudden in the second half, I don't know what happened at halftime, but man, those guys picked it up. Tyler Powell with a fantastic day, Jason Strobridge with back-to-back good showings on the defensive line after he had some struggles early in the year um, following the big expectations that he was receiving in the offseason, so you know, I think that that, those two groups really are starting to round into form, and this defense is starting to show that, hey, you know, we're really not that bad, and, you know, everybody's going to look at it and say, well, they let up 40 points in that game. You got to remember, they they, they entered the last two minutes of the fourth quarter having only allowed 20 points, so, you know, yeah, things got pretty bad on the scoreboard late in the game as opposed to, you know, this team really got, just simply got dominated, so, um, yeah, any other points before we turn to uh, uh, one of the more interesting topics I think that we're going to have on the show? Uh, no, I think that's all for Syracuse. All right, man. So we turn. Of course, everybody knows that right now the status of Larry Fedora is, you know, a bit up in the air. We don't quite know where the Tar Heel uh, athletic department is standing on him. At this point, I think everybody kind of gets the feel where the boosters are Um, And and at this point, it would seem that if you had to lean one way or the other, Larry Fedora will probably be on his way out of Chapel Hill at the end of the season. There are going to be plenty of coaching candidates that will be out there, but just today there were reports that Ohio State head coach Urban Meyer could be on the market uh, for potential job openings later this year due to a fractured relationship with the university Um, and right now, I guess my question would be, and I saw you talking about this a little bit earlier, and we talked about it just a little bit before we got, uh, on, on air to do the show. Um, you know, Urban Meyer to Chapel Hill, would you be someone that would welcome that? Um, that
1: would probably put me over the top to buying season tickets in Keenan. Um, you bring in the name. You bring in a guy with championship pedigree at two schools in Florida and Ohio State. He's proven he can win, you know, on the mid-major level. when Utah at the time was not in a Power Five conference, when he went undefeated there. Um, so yes, I I think like in the long run, would he do it? Probably not. But if I'm Bubba Cunningham, you make you make him tell you no. And there's a lot of things you pitch to them. Um, you know, we've built a new facility. We've made the, some changes in Keenan. Also, there's not as much pressure to win here as there is at Florida and Ohio State because of the basketball program. Now, that might not be as appealing to them, but if this is a guy who's wanting to just maybe go somewhere where it's normally warm and still win a lot of games and not have all the pressure of the recruiting and all that, then Chapel Hill could very well be a, um, a likely a spot where he could maybe consider. Then you go look on the downside of him. When he was at Florida, after he loses 10 Tebow, he sees his program's not where it is and should be. All of a sudden, he has heart problems and takes a year off. At about the same time, the Ohio State job was going to be up in the air with a Jim Trestle situation. And then this past year, you had this with him at Big Ten Media Day. Lying about knowing about domestic violence going on in his staff. Um, and it's it's hard to defend that in today's climate. But I still think, you know, the school hired Butch Davis, who came from Miami, who had his own reputation of cheating and this, that, and the other. I think you at least, you know, it, take a little adventure into him coming here.
0: Well, here, here's the thing. First of all, can we at least admit that there's a difference between cheating to land recruits and covering up domestic violence. I, I, yeah. I'm assuming there's an, under, you know, and, and that's, yeah, there's an understanding there, but you know, look, I, I, Urban Meyer, look, the track record is there and I get what you're saying. It's a fantastic track record. And I don't think that's the problem around Urban Meyer. It's, Mainly the domestic violence allegations covering that up, you know, that that's something that, I mean, you're going to go from a guy in Larry Fedora who, okay, he might not be a coaching face that is well known around the country, um, but I mean, on campus, this is a guy that is seen as one of the ultimate nice guys. Larry Fedora is one of those down-to-earth, good, good old boy type guys Um, that's there, you know, that that is there for his players. He wants to do things the right way. And if you go to Urban Meyer, you're going to create some controversy within your own fan base, first of all, Um, but really nationally. Um, You know, when when I look at him, you know, that's got to be concerning to people that you're worried about, you know, winning games more than, you know, getting a guy that's, potentially, you know, you can't be 100% about it, but pretty much you're close to 100%, potentially abusing his wife, and you think that keeping him on the staff, well, we don't want to lose him as a wide receivers coach. Well, look, man, you can't worry about that. And are we really going to act like if he ends up getting fired, you can't get anybody else to come to Columbus with you? you would be able to get a pretty good guy to fill in there at wide receivers coach. I I don't think you would really be hurting all that bad. And frankly, I mean, what has Zach Smith really done with the wide receivers at Ohio state? I don't see anybody out of Ohio state. That's a wide receiver. That's been a wide receiver prospect. I would say in the last 10 years that you're like, Oh, that's, that's a can't miss right there. Maybe outside of Michael Thomas. That's the only one that comes to mind. Um, you know, it, it, my my other thing with him is, is, like you mentioned, you know, he got disinterested sort of with the Florida job and just kind of gave up like that. I wonder if that would be something that could happen if he gets disinterested in Chapel Hill or if the timetable that he sets to try to get the team in the right direction doesn't quite work out the way he was hoping. Is that all of a sudden then, oh, I'm just going to step away and, you know, I'll come back whenever I I actually feel healthy? Um, You know, you you said it. I don't think we have to worry about this ultimately. Um, But at the same time, you know, if anybody is actually really considering Urban Meyer as a head coach – This is the other thing that I think you've got to consider as well. If you're just willing to consider Urban Meyer because, oh, well, his track record is good, you've got to also consider guys like Hugh Freeze. I I mean, are are we going to say that Hugh Freeze did anything that was worse than Urban Meyer? No. I don't think he did anything that was close to uh, the scale of what Urban Meyer did. I mean, yeah, okay, Hugh Freeze did have um, some problems with uh, cheating with recruits. Um, or, well, not that, that was, that was phrased very wrong. Um, you know, cheating to land recruits at, um, at Ole Miss, um, which I mean, you know, again, we, like you said, we would be, that would be nothing new to us. We already did that with Butch Davis one time. Um, you just got to go about it a different way where you've got to be able to keep a a more firm eye on Hugh Freeze and make sure that he is doing everything right. But I I mean, what are we, are we going to judge the man because he, you know, was calling prostitutes. I mean, look, that's not good. Um, But, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't see how that's worse than what Urban Meyer did. I, I don't think it is. I, I still don't think it's even comparable on any scale. Um, and see, now you, you, you have brought up Hugh Freeze. A lot of other people were like, no way we can hire him. But when they see Urban Meyer's name on there, well, maybe we have to consider that. No, there's no considering anything about it. I think at this point, if Urban Meyer gets fired from Ohio State, to me, he's he's almost, I I feel like he's one of those coaches that is almost untouchable. I I don't know if he's a guy that a lot of programs are going to take a risk on. And if somebody is going to take a risk on him, I also feel like it might be one of these bigger programs that maybe has a little bit of a question about their current coach, but not a you know, a, a glaring question, um, maybe like an Auburn or something like that, because I don't think he fits in Auburn. But let's say, let's just say USC sees that he's on the market. Do you think there's a, po- I mean, there's got to be a possibility, right, that they fire Clay Helton and go to Urban Meyer, who is more proven and has handled, you know, being at big-time programs? I mean, to me, that 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 seems that seems like it's it's not out of the question. I mean, am I right?
1: Well, considering he's gone to back-to-back New Year's six bowl games, winning one, losing the other, and there's still been grumblings in L.A. about him being the right guy, then absolutely they they call Urban Meyer and his agent. Um, I still find it ludicrous that a man's gone to back-to-back New Year's six bowl games and That's not good enough?
0: Oh, no, you're correct about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: So, yeah. Uh, Auburn, like you said, the report came out earlier in the last week that a $38 million buyout is nothing if they feel it's time to move on. I don't think he ultimately fits there. I don't think he wants to compete with Nick Saban divisionally year in, year out. Um but I think you definitely to Auburn would do their due justice of making the phone call. Um, I think ultimately they'll repair whatever wrong at Ohio state because he, he didn't
0: lose his job in the summer when everyone pretty much thought he was canned. Right. And so I think the university is willing more
1: to give in to what he wants more so than what the university wants. Um, whether that's right or wrong, it's not for us to decide. But I don't think they're willing to to lose him and all the success they've had in the uh, what six six years now he's been there. Um, some of the winningest football ever for that that, that program. So I don't think they're going to be like, what, you know throw the napkin up and be, like, yep, yeah, we're done. Because by God, they win a lot of games.
0: Yeah, um so one of the other things I uh, will just touch on this. I didn't even have this on here, but um with with Gus Malzahn being brought up, I mean, what in your mind is is it really realistic that he ends up coming to Chapel Hill if he gets fired? I mean, I feel like this this could be a spot for him. Um but at the same time, I just I I don't know if fans should be getting all that overly excited about that. I feel like if he ends up getting fired, he may go somewhere and, and and be an offensive coordinator just to sort of try to get build himself back up and maybe get to one of these bigger SEC programs before you know instead of going to Carolina. Um. Uh, well, my memory
1: might be bad, but I believe when he was in the process of leaving Arkansas State and ultimately went back to Auburn, if the Auburn job didn't come available because. Gene Chizik was still two years removed from winning a national championship. Mm -hmm. At the time, it didn't seem rational that he was going to get fired. He did. But I think if the Auburn thing never went through, UNC was in the market for a coach, it could have happened. So, I think there could be mutual interest. Um, You get to go to a program that, you know, like, If if, if you win big here, you're going to be beloved. Like the fan base still loves Butch Davis, and all the guy did was go 8-4, took NC State. You come here and you rebuild your name and you rebrand who you are as a coach and you win big, we'll put a statue on outside Keenan for you because we're we're hungry to win football games. Um, But you can also do the offensive coordinator. He could step away from coaching. We don't know. Um, But I I would be, you know – that's the guy I've always argued. You put him in the ACC, I think his style wins easier in the ACC more than the SEC because the defensive talent in this conference ain't what it is in the SEC. Right. And you're not competing with Alabama, LSU. Jimbo Fisher is now at Texas A&M. Georgia has Kirby Smart. And Florida has Dan Mullen. All pretty good recruiters. It, you know, you come to... The ACC, you have Dabo Sweeney and a bunch of unestablished elite recruiters right now, so you, you you could have a an easier time winning and still winning and playing meaningful
0: football games. But yes, yeah, and, you know, I've always argued you freeze because right he's,
1: he beat Alabama with Ole Miss
0: and I mean, yeah. Can we can we can it. we clarify this too? Because I know what everybody's gonna say. Well, he had to cheat to win against Alabama. He won with Bo Wallace at quarterback, which is literally the college football version of late career Eli Manning. Like, can we can we just say Bo Wallace was not that good at all? Like, he had no business beating Alabama. I mean, and he, he beat him twice. He beat him twice with that guy. So, you know, yeah, I agree. I, I think both of those guys should be in consideration, and... You know when I look at Gus Malzahn, man, I, yeah, I I think yeah the connection between the two universities, like or between the uh, the two sides, excuse me, are, are there. Um, like you said, I mean he had some some general interest in the job back when, um, you know he was looking to potentially leave uh, uh, Arkansas State. You know we ended up of course going with Larry, but um, I think that was after Gus Malzahn had already went to Auburn. So. You know, i I think his offense would fit here. I think what we have in place already would be what he needs. Um, really, he just he would just need a quarterback. But I mean, look at right now, I mean, Jared Sidham, I feel like is good, but I, I don't know if Jared Sidham's quite the same guy that he was, you know, coming out of high school. He was a five star guy now. I don't I think people are realizing look this guy he, he might be a late round NFL guy um in Chapel Hill I mean there's nobody that is really standing out right now but I feel like there's someone there that he can at least manage with for the time being um and I mean let, let's be real he won he, he almost won a national championship with a cornerback playing quarterback so you know he he knows he's able to adjust we've got the running backs in place my biggest concern is nothing to do with Gus Malzahn. And I know that his offense this year hasn't quite been as good as it's been in the past, and maybe that's starting to turn people off just a little bit. I wouldn't be all that concerned because we've seen this before where he hasn't had that great of an offense. Now, this is the worst, I think, that he's had at Auburn. Um, But the next year, he usually rebounds pretty well. And I'm I'm like you. I think right now in the ACC— I mean, we're sitting at a point right now where, I mean, you name me the second-best team in the ACC because, frankly, I don't know who it is. It's Clemson, and then it's everybody else. People want to say, well, maybe it's NC State. Well, they just got hammered by Clemson. Well, maybe it's Virginia. Well, Virginia, I mean, coming into the season, there were some people that thought they were lucky to win one conference game. Well, maybe it's Virginia Tech. Well, Right now, that team really isn't the same team that we thought. Miami, the same way. So, there are opportunities here in the ACC. And I think that offense, like you said, would work. My biggest concern is the university. They're going to have to pay the buyout for Larry. And look, even though he gets fired from Auburn, Gus Malzahn's not a bad coach. He's still going to want some money to coach wherever he goes. Is Carolina going to be willing to pay that type of salary for a coach? And that is not just focusing on Malzahn. That is when it comes to any of these coaches. You know, a lot of these guys that have a proven track record are going to want money. Are the Tar Heels going to be willing to pay? Really, is the athletic department, is Bubba Cunningham going to be willing to pay a coach that much money after paying a 14 to $16 million buyout for Larry Fedora. I, I just, I, I mean, I don't know. Am am I crazy to think that that's got to be the biggest question mark for any, what, what, to start out with when it comes to talking new coaches? No, the, I mean, it, it
1: always starts there. Is, you know, you look at the coaches and what they make at all these other places and like you said you bring in like you know even Urban Meyer um, Gus Malzahn even though they're stepping down and taking you know a quote unquote lesser of a job in terms of prestige they're still going to want to get paid the money to do what they're going to be asked to do at whatever school they're at and there's already grumbling that the the department's not willing to Pay the money for a buyout. So even if they do buck up and pay it, how cheap are you going on a coach? You paying a coach 2 to $3 million a year? Because that's really nothing in the grand scheme of things now. Right.
0: Um, that's going to be an up and comer salary, like a Satterfield or a Latrell.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, no, you, you always got to factor that in whenever you make a decision. Is you know what's the money
0: look like? How much are we willing to pay, and and go from there? All right, all right, Yeah, well, we're 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 gonna get out of this because right now this this is a moot point because you know we're still we haven't fired Larry, so we don't we, we don't need to be talking coaches that um you know potentially could be out there for us to hire because. We still got Larry in Chapel Hill right now. So we'll move on, uh, talk a little bit about the players here, um, as we'll do our midseason standouts. We've reached that quote-unquote midseason point because we are six games in. We're only scheduled to play 11. I I really doubt that they're going to put a 12th team on that schedule. Maybe, maybe they add someone late in the year, but I really doubt it at this point because we haven't really heard anything else. And you've already seen NC State and and East Carolina, they scheduled their game um, now, probably going back about a month. So, um, you know, I think at this point, if they were making moves to do anything, we would have heard about it. It feels like it's going to be 11 games uh, to close out this year. But, um, you know, right now we're at the midway point. So we're going to do our offensive and defensive standouts. Just name a couple of guys that come to mind. I would say like the max, just do your top three um, of guys that so far have stood out to you, um, you know, on, on both sides of the ball. And so I'll turn to you on this. I mean, I know, look, it's at one in five, people might be sitting and saying, well, how do you have really any standouts? Uh, this team, there, there have been some guys that have played well on this team. And there's a lot of talent, I still believe, on this team. A lot of people think this team could be 3-3 three and three or 4-2. and two. So the talent is there. They just haven't quite been able to close out games. So in your, in your mind, who are some of the guys that so far this year, offensively we'll start with, that have stood out? If we're going off
1: the past couple of weeks. Daz Newsome's kind of turned into that kind of guy that... We saw a glimpse of last year of, well, when he gets the ball in space, what can he do with it? He could do really big things. Um, So he's been very impressive, you know, coming off, building off of the little bit of he showed last year. And as the offense has been in dire need of a playmaker with teams gearing up to slow down Ratliff Williams, he's really stepped up. Um, And then you go, I think, running backs. You know, both Williams and Carter have had their moments. Um, Williams, before the, you know, the targeting penalty in the ECU game, was having a good day. Um, 116 yards this past week against Syracuse. Michael Carter was phenomenal against Virginia Tech to take away the fumble. Mm -hmm. Was big in the lone win over Pittsburgh. So, both of those guys have done what we expected them to do in that backfield. Um, and even, we've been really hard on Nathan Elliott, but the guy's third in the conference at passer rating, and in the game against Pitt, that he won, and the game against Syracuse, he looked like the Nathan Elliott we expected to see all year long. He's had his struggles at Cowan, so you can't really grade him in the Miami in Virginia Tech games because he didn't play enough, but even in the Virginia Tech game, he had the big pass on the on the drive that led us that Carter fumbled on that put Carolina in position to make a, to win the ball game. So, and he's he's cut down the interceptions. Um, the offensive line really struggled, so it's kind of hard to point there because the the line hasn't been as good as we wanted. The, the skill players, mainly Newsom and your running backs, have done what you've asked them to do
0: week in, week out. Yeah, I, when I look at it, you know, Daz Newsom's a great one. That That's probably the one that I think everybody's going to have on their list because, yeah, I mean, the last two weeks, he has been fantastic. Syracuse, I think, was the best game of his entire career, but he also did it in the game against Pittsburgh where he had um, the most, you know, six catches, 110 yards, uh, which is the best game uh, receiving-wise of his entire career. So, He's starting to show that, look, he has that ability to be this playmaker where if you get him the ball, he's dangerous in open space. And I think that's what the Tar Heels have to keep doing, and I think they will keep doing. Um, So it's encouraging to see him break out because early in the year, really the first two weeks of the season, there wasn't that number two guy. It was really Ratliff Williams, and nobody else was really stepping up. Um, so, I, you know, what he's done so far ha- has been really encouraging, and I think he's only going to get better as the season goes along. Um, you know, you mentioned the backfield. I would say Antonio Williams is probably the guy just because Michael Carter is he's still trying to get back from that wrist injury. Um, you know, it, he had the injury that cost him the first three games of the year, so that was Antonio Williams' time right there. And, you know, like you mentioned, he played well against East Carolina, um, and he really, you know, ultimately I thought he played well against Cal. The numbers really weren't there, but I thought, you know, he had a pretty solid day, and then, of course, this past weekend against Syracuse, he got back to looking the way that we saw him early in the season, so, you know, he to me, he's been really encouraging. He has the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, and then I would say my other standout, probably a guy that a lot of people don't notice, but he's really started to pick it up uh, these last couple of games is Jake Bargas, the tight end. And it's not because of his receiving ability. It's been his blocking ability. They have brought this guy in as the pseudo H-back. I mean, I think everybody kind of thought just from his size that Carl Tucker was going to be the best blocking tight end on this roster. Jake Bargas was kind of seen as that, as that guy that was really just a receiving threat when he came out of high school. Well, that's not the case. Jake Vargas has turned into this phenomenal blocker, and we've really seen it on display primarily in the last two weeks where he has been fantastic in providing basically a sixth offensive lineman to help block mainly in the run situations that has led to a great performance from Michael Carter and then a great performance from Antonio Williams. So I think that's a guy that people really have to start taking recognition of. Um, You mentioned the offensive line struggled. I think to a certain extent, yes. But they have shown, I think, over the last two weeks that they are capable of being a a pretty solid unit. Uh, One good thing, they haven't allowed a ton of sacks so far this season. They have allowed... Quite a bit of pressure on the quarterback. I think that stat's been a little bit flawed when people see that they haven't allowed a ton of sacks. But I think really in the run game, they've done a pretty good job. They've done a good job up front in run blocking, I think, to help these guys out. Because really so far this year, I don't think there's been a game where we've looked at it and said... Yeah, we didn't run the ball at all in that game. You know, we really struggled. Maybe Miami, that that might be the only game. And even that game, Michael Carter looked good in the first half, and then they just didn't run the ball really at all in the second half. That was more, I think, game plan than anything. Um, But – you know, yeah, no, I think uh, I think those are some fair guys to put out there. Um, when you look defensively, I'll, I'll start defensively and then let you close it. Um, you know, when I look on the defensive side of the football, the first guy that comes to mind for me is Trey Morrison. This kid is a true freshman, and he is out there just tearing it up. I mean, he plays in the nickel spot, so he has been a guy that can come up and make tackles in the in run defense. Something that I think people were a little bit concerned about. When we lost M.J. Stewart, remember last year we saw Miles Wolfolk out of that position where he really kind of struggled tackling in the open field. Now, he had to come in at free safety for Miles Dorn, and he, I, it looked like he had those, those problems corrected. He did a pretty good job tackling in the open field. But Trey Morrison coming in starting from day one, I, I think he's been fantastic. He's so quick, um, and he does such a great job in coverage. Um, you know, we, we've seen him multiple times where they've tried to throw at him, and he's been there. I mean, he did a fantastic job this past weekend against Syracuse. Back-to-back times in the red zone, they tried to go after him um, on that, on that second-to-final drive in regulation for um, Syracuse, or third-to-final drive, that's right, they had one play that they ran to send it to overtime after uh, whatever that was at the end of the game, that complete disaster of time management. Um, but the the third-to-last drive where they drove down and we ended up making the stop, I mean, Trey Morrison, they threw at him twice and he was right there. He, he's great. He's always in the position that he needs to be. And he has the ability to make plays on the football. He hasn't gotten an interception yet, but I feel like that's coming somewhere down the line. So, yeah, I, I he's got to be up there for me. Patrice Renee, I think, has to be up there, too. Um, he has been fantastic, especially these past two weeks. You know, early in the season... I think you know we we both had concerns about him early in the year against Cal. Um, I thought against ECU, he had a lot of trouble as well. But I think once the injury to CJ. Cotman took place and he was back in that starting lineup, he knew he had to take his game to a new level. And, I think really, even going back to the Miami game, I think he's been fantastic. And nobody right now is criticizing his play. He has, you know, first two uh, interceptions of his career have come these last two weeks. And I can't remember a time where someone caught a ball over him. I mean, he's been matched up against two of the ACC's better receivers this season. in Demon Hazleton for Virginia Tech. And then he had to turn around and go up against Jamal Custis, who, you know, if you followed the ACC, you know, uh, like we have, you know that Jamal Custis to open the season was a breakout star and had a pretty good game against Clemson. So, yeah, Patrice Renee, he has really stepped up his game and is definitely one of those guys that has stood out to me. And then the other guy, it's a veteran, but man, you've got to shout out Malik Carney. This dude is playing fantastic. You know, before the season started, or maybe it may have been before the season, or maybe it was the first week of the season. I don't remember which one it was, but he was on um, Larry Fedora live, and he said, "I'm gonna I, my my goal is to have 10 sacks this season." And you know, yeah, he's had a little bit of sack production, but really, it's been around that five to six sacks per season production rate, and that's with playing all 12 games. So when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's a pretty lofty goal, especially for a guy that's only going to be playing in eight games this season. Well, I'm going to tell you, I was dead wrong on that because he has only played in three games this season and he has five sacks. He, he has looked fantastic. He's easily been the best pass rusher for a defensive line that now has established a, a pass rush that they've really lacked in the Larry Fedora era. So Yeah. I got to give it to Malik Carney, man. I'm not, I'm going to be honest. I didn't think you could get to 10. I I think there's a real chance that he could get to 10 once he returns because he seems motivated right now. I think, you know, possibly the suspension that might be the best thing that happened to him because that was more, that, that was extra motivation for him. And and he's playing out of this world. So who are the guys, uh, um, that have stood out to you so far?
1: Yeah, I would start first with Renee. Um, Warner was a position coming in, we were a little worried
0: about mm-hmm.
1: um, with the loss of MJ. And then you look at the injuries we've had at that position with Sales, Cotton. Him stepping up has been big, um, you know, and especially with much as Greg Ross struggle, his production with the interception, just like you said, he's always in the right place at the right time. That's a byproduct of him being in the defense for now his third year.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So at this point, he's supposed to be
1: making the plays he's making, but it's also good to see him also making the plays. Mm -hmm. Um, Miles Dorn has been, once he's back from injury, what we kind of expected from him, which is a guy who's going to make a lot of tackles, um, plays the run as well as he plays the pass. may for some reason, in our defense, our safeties has always been pretty good against the run, even if we're not good at stopping it. The safeties are pretty good in run support. Um, and then I'd probably piggyback with you with Carney because defensive line has never been a lack of talent, so it's always been a lack of production. And it's like you said, we're in seventh year, I think, of Larry being at Chapel Hill, and we've just now seen a week in, week out, consistent pressure on the quarterback. And it starts all with him. Um, it kind of makes me wonder if he doesn't have a game for suspension. What else could he be doing out there? And could we maybe have a different record? But that's, you know, he made a mistake he owned. But he's, he's come to, to to play every week that he's been allowed to dress. And it's been big for the football team.
0: Right. No, yeah, I agree. And, and I think, you know, you look at, you know, both, you know, we had the same guys on our defensive standouts. And the only thing that's slowing these units down, both the secondary and defensive line right now is injuries because there is a pretty good amount of them. I and mean, we talked about KJ sales um, who, you know, we we don't really know what's going on with them. He's just, he hasn't been out there. Um, but, you know, and that shouldn't worry Toriel fans um, because, you know, if you guys have been around this team, you, you're going to know, look, they, they don't release any information on injuries unless they're season ending. So, if they're not talking about the injury, that's a good thing, believe it or not. Um, you know, Miles Wolfo, done for the year. Um, I'm not sure what happened to him. He's just, he apparently had surgery. Um, not, uh, again, I, I have no idea w- what the surgery was for, so um, it, it's still a mystery. He's out for the season. Um, and then, yeah, the sales, uh, you know, still nothing being released on him. Same thing with C.J. Cotman. Um, and at this point, you know, that's that's the thing that I think is holding the secondary back. And then on the defensive line, man, they're, they're really getting hit by injuries now. Uh, you know, Carney served the last game of his suspension. But if you will remember, against Virginia Tech, he had an injury late in the game, went down. And, uh, you know, Larry said uh, last Monday... He wasn't sure if he would be able to play. Either way, you know, we don't know if he set this game out because of suspension or injury. It doesn't matter. Um, You know, since you don't release that information, it counts as a game for the suspension. So it may end up working out for him. But um, Tyrone Hopper's been dealing with his own injury as well. Aaron Crawford missed the last game with an injury. Prior to that, Jalen Dalton missed the game with an injury. So, um, you know, Crawford, of course, battling back from the knee injury, he played a pair, you know, played a little bit against Virginia Tech, not much at all, and then Jalen Dalton played this past weekend and really didn't do anything fantastic. So both of those guys, I think, are still not at 100%. And then Alan Cater, who you know, I think so far this year has began to show the signs of a guy that could be that next pass rusher for the Tar Heels once. Malik Carney has to leave town after this season um, due to you know exhausted eligibility. He ends up going down with what looked like a pretty severe leg injury. So. That's the only thing right now that I think is going to hurt this defense right now. These guys are going to have to step up. These guys that we mentioned, they're going to have to continue to step up. So, um, that's going to, uh, I, I think with that, we'll move on and, uh, we'll talk about the Virginia game upcoming, uh, this weekend, a game that coming into the season, I, I think was a lot different than it is as we sit here today. I don't think many thought Virginia would be a five and two football team. And right now, uh, the team that might be in the driver's seat to potentially uh, be in Charlotte for the ACC championship game. It seems like at this point, it's more than likely going to come down to them and Virginia Tech at that rival- in that rivalry game at the end of the year. So, um, you know, when you look at this game, you know, is this, is this a game that has changed in your mind from what we thought it could be early in the season?
1: Yeah, I'm not as comfortable saying we could go in there and win as I was back in August when I was looking at the both teams on paper and where I thought they'd stack up by the last week of October. Um, but the thing is, it's a rivalry game, the South Orange rivalry. Um, Larry, I believe when he lost to him last year, was his first time ever losing to Virginia. So, you have that kind of, you know, we're going to want revenge. Um, and it's, it's, it's big. I mean, it's big for both teams. But, I mean, for Carolina, you lose your 1 and 6, and you're not playing a 12th game. So, really, your bowl eligibility is on the line, depending on if NCAA would allow a 5 and 6 team in there or not, we don't know. But if we're, we don't want to put ourselves in that situation if you're, we still sort of make a bowl game, we kind of got to have the mental, we got to win out. Um, it's on the road, Scott Stadium, not one of the tougher places to play um, in the conference, although Miami learned that the hard way. But that place is 5-2, even though it's early, key, that place will be, I guess, ready to go. Um, but, yeah, from, from when we were talking about this game earlier, you're completely different perspective now, whereas they're, they're – Obviously, the better team, better coach team, um, and, and they they got something to play for bigger down the line than we do.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall has has turned that program in the right direction very quickly. I think there were people that, that may have been doubting him after last year, and man, he he has uh, he he has done some fantastic stuff with them this year. You know, when you looked at, at the keys to this game for the Tar Heels, you know, what really sticks out in your mind that they've got to do to be able to come out with a win in this game?
1: I think it is. It starts every week with us, as it always seems to be. you got to stop the run. You know a Bronco the team is going to want to run the football.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, mean, they, I mean, they average 183 yards rushing a game. And a lot of that it starts with their quarterback run, something we've right. I haven't always been good at stopping. So I think it's always twofold with us. We want to stop the run and be able to run. We don't want Nathan Elliott throwing it 52 times, even if he completes 34 of them, which is a great line. He had the, I think he set the record for like most completions in a game, and then he was, he threw the most times ever without an interception at 52. So, um, that's what I think. Can we run the ball? Can we stop them from running? And I think when you're one in five, special teams become all the more important. Can we get another play, whether from Daz Newsome, maybe Anthony Ratliff Williams, and also do a good job when we when we pump the football down in them inside
0: and not allowing any big plays in the, in the return game. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you uh def, definitely on stopping the run. Um one that that's one of my keys is you, you got to make Bryce Perkins beat you with his arm. He hasn't had to do that really in their five wins. He's not a guy that throws the ball as, you know, that, that, all, all that much, not like some of the other guys that we've seen on the schedule. So, if you can make him have to beat you with his arm, I think that's going to work out for you. Um, you know, I of course, take care of the football. That's always been a big thing. Um, you know, if, if they're turning the football over, this Toriel team has no chance. This offense already has its struggles. This defense has always been, uh, you know, all hot and cold. So, look, you, you've got to keep the football in your possession when you have it and, you know, give – Give yourself a chance in these games. Turning the football over, especially, I mean, we saw it against Miami. If you turn it over like that, you're going to get blown out. And, you know, look, Virginia is an an optimistic team. I mean, they are just like Syracuse, they turn the football over a lot. They do a good job of intercepting passes. And look, I mean, Nathan Elliott knew that. He stepped his game up, but. Yeah, I, I think the way you can do that also is running the football. But, again, you got to take care of the football running the football as well because Michael Carter, back-to-back weeks, has fumbled. So, you know, look, that, that's got to be a concern. We've seen Antonio Williams have some fumble issues as well at times. So, right now, they, they've got to focus. Take care of that football. Don't give them extra opportunities because, as we've seen – Points off of turnovers can make a difference. It did in the Virginia Tech game. Don't let that happen against Virginia. And then my other thing, you've got to finish drives in the red zone. Or really, when you get to the opponent, uh, uh, the opponent's side of the field, you've got to make it happen. Because look, when I look at it right now, you know this team, like I said, three of the last 21 attempts that when they've been inside the opponent's 30-yard line, they have... A touchdown on the board that's that's that can't happen that cannot happen and I mean part of that is play calling um I'm still scratching my head over what the hell that play call was with Bo Corrales throwing the football that was one of the worst play calls I have ever seen in my entire life and again you know the receiver was open I think it was Ratliff Williams that was open why the hell is Ratliff Williams not throwing that football that makes absolutely no sense the kid only played quarterback in high school, but we're gonna throw it with Bo Corrales, who probably has never thrown a football outside of practice in his life. Um, you know, and then uh, you've got to be able to convert on field goal attempts if you have to kick field goals. Freeman Jones started the year great; he's fallen off a little bit. He's got to get back in that groove because if you're not able to make these kicks, granted, I know some of these, you know, he missed, last week he missed a 45-yarder and a 50-yarder. The issue is, look, the 45-yarder was the one that could have put you up by two possessions late in the game and ultimately probably would have won you the football game. You've got to be able to make kicks of that distance. And the problem is that it's it's not that he doesn't have the leg strength. It's been an accuracy issue. So he's got to get that ironed out. Um, and, and they've got to be able to capitalize on these opportunities, put points on the board, because the more points that you leave on the board, it's, it's not, I mean, it's, it's going to come back to bite you, especially against a team like Virginia, where you probably won't see as many opportunities because this team is as, you know, as sound of a defense as just about anybody in the ACC outside of Clemson right now. They have played fantastic. Uh, they, they shut down Duke. Um, you know, and, and we've seen it really all year, did the same thing to Miami. So they're going to try to win games in, in low-scoring affairs. They did it to us last year. Um, we, we've got to be able to find a way to put those points on the board when they're there. So we move on to our predictions, our official predictions presented by Hustle Hands. Hustle Hands uh, it, it Hustle Hands TV Worldwide podcast. That goes on tomorrow night. Just go to the Hustle Hands TV Worldwide podcast. Uh, com Twitter page oh Twitter page Facebook page excuse me and then uh, go to HustleHands.com to get your latest hustle hands apparel hustle hands of course ran by the uh Ch- by Chad Boucher uh, one of my close friends and a guy that is a massive Tar Heel fan so um we get into the predictions man what you got for this week on the road at Virginia See,
1: last week I picked against them. I think, I think this week, I think they find a way to make a play. Um, and for, a, for a lot of our players, it's a homecoming game because they're from the state of Virginia. Mm-hmm. It means a lot to them. Um, I think we're going to be able to run it. I think we're going to be able to stop them and make Bryce Perkins, like you said, make him throw it a little bit more than they want him to. He's throwing seven picks on the year, so he has some turnover issues. Right. And I think. I think we win twenty four twenty. Wow! Um, and, and 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 kind of maybe turn the season around. We've, you know, we've made bowl games with one and five and two and four stars under Larry Fedora, so this is kind of nothing new to him and the coaching staff. And maybe this is the week we turn it around and and start playing the way we, we wanted to and expected to.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. And the uh, you're you hit that right on the head. I mean, remember we we were one and five. Entering the uh, Bren Renners senior year, I'm trying to remember, I think that was what two thousand fourteen Marquise Williams came in, led us to six straight victories before we eventually lost at home to do to close the season. But that's what they need this year is five straight wins. They get five straight wins. They'll be six and five, and they won't have to worry about scheduling that twelfth game to ultimately get Bowl eligible. Frankly, if you can get to five wins even, you're probably going to make a bowl game because, let's be real, they're what now, 80? I mean, at this point, I'm pretty sure every team in college football is playing in a bowl game. I mean, it's it's gotten to that point, it seems. Um, but, you know, yeah, I think this team ultimately, um, you know, the line is is currently at nine and a half for Virginia. Um I just don't feel like that's the way that Virginia beats anybody. I, I, I They they don't really do that to you. If they're going to win games, th- they're a defensive-minded squad that likes to run the football. It's going to be a game that is It's not going to take a ton of time because they're going to want to use the clock when they have the football. It's going to be a low-scoring affair. That's why I think the Tar Heels do cover. Am I going to take them outright? Ah. <sighs> Man, that's one of those teams where Larry's really had their number. And last year, they should have won that game at home. Michael Carter had a fantastic performance. I really like the way that this offense is trending in the right direction. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to take them outright. I think they find a way to do it on the road uh, at Virginia. It's a big win for them. Um, And yeah, I mean, you look at the back half of the schedule, it's kind of weird because... I think we thought that the front half of the schedule this year was where we were going to get most of our wins. I think the back half of the schedule still has some wins that are potentially there. Um, You know, while the records may be pretty good, um, I mean, you look at the teams that are still there, like Virginia. You know, to this point, you know, I, I think they've probably they they played a few teams where you could say, okay, you know, look, they they beat Miami. Um, and, and you know, they, they, they lost to state, but I thought they played pretty well in that game. They beat Duke. So, uh, that game was on the road. So I think they're one of those teams that you can say, okay, you know, this team I think is pretty good. Georgia tech. I, I don't really feel there's a lot of people that are on the Georgia tech bandwagon. I still feel like that team is not that great. I don't feel like they're an ACC coastal winning type team. Um and then Duke, I, I mean this is pretty much what we thought could happen to Duke when they were at that when they were sitting at 4-0. They've done this a few years in a row now where they start really well at a conference. And once they get into conference, yeah, they might win their first game or two in conference, but once they get into the meat of that schedule, they really, really struggle. And for them, I mean, look, they've got Clemson still on the schedule. Um, they've still got Virginia tech or no, not Virginia tech. Um, who else? They they still have Miami on the schedule. That's why I was looking for. Still have Miami on the schedule. It's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy at all for Duke. So um, they, they it's going to be interesting to see just how far they fall and potentially where they'll be when we end up playing them um, in uh, in Wallace Wade Stadium, which I think you know short trip that could help our guys out. NC State is at five and one, but let let's be real. I mean, who have they really played? I mean, to be honest. Their biggest win right now to this point is Virginia. And outside of that, yeah, I mean, your, your biggest win, what, maybe Boston College without A.J. Dillon? That's that's not really saying much. So there is a potential to win there, and I think they get the win on the road at Virginia to get things potentially going. So uh, I think that's uh, that's going to close it down for the night. Anything else you want to uh, throw out there before we, uh, we take this thing off the air this week? Nope,
1: I'm, I'm all talked out.
0: All right, man. Hey, uh, so that's going to do it for tonight's episode of the Heel Tough Vlog Podcast. Of course, want to thank Josh for stopping by and uh, being the co-host again tonight. You've done fantastic back-to-back weeks there, buddy, and glad that, of course, I can do this uh, with you. Uh, as always, subscribe to the podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app or TuneIn.com. This week's game against Virginia kicks off at 1220 on Raycom Sports and the ACC Digital Network Extra channel on the Watch ESPN app. Jones Angel and Brian Simmons will be on the call for the Tar Heels Sports Network. That's 99.3 FM and 1110 AM WBT in Charlotte, 97.9 FM and 1360 AM WCHL in Chapel Hill, and 106.1 FM WTKK in Raleigh. For others, please check your local listings. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, Go Tar Heels!